esports fanatics, we are Luca Vitalik, Ryan Walterman, and Ben Schmidt. Let us introduce you to a weekly favorite sports podcast on KCOU 88.1 FM. On Around the Wave, several guests and us provide you the most thorough Mizzou sports coverage. Also, NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL coverage where we debate. Healy's hero right here is Jordan Bennington, and he's kind of just been the story all year. But uh, in the last couple of games, besides the Coyotes game and the Avalanche game, he's, he's looked like his 2019 form, I would say. First of all, you are misinforming the American public. That's number one. Number two, everything you just said is absolutely blasphemous. Okay? Everything you just said. Jordan Bennington's looking like his old self. Provide legendary list. Number five on my list, the Los Angeles Chargers. Why? They snatched its long-term solution on the O-line and Rashawn Slater. He's offering, he's going to offer reliable protection for Justin Herbert, which we saw he was a star last season. And give bold predictions. If I'm being honest, even with all the new talent that the New York Giants added on offense, I still think they fail with Daniel Jones at the helm, and he's reduced nothing more than a backup within the next few years. So join us every Friday morning at 10 o'clock Central Time on KCOU 88.1 FM. We hope to see you there. And uh, happy Friday, everyone. Welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, and alongside me are my co-hosts, Ryan Walterman and Ben Schmidt. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing fantastic. I'm super excited because we got a great show, mostly football today and a little bit of basketball. So I'm super excited to talk about a lot of things we haven't been able to say for a couple weeks because we haven't been on the air. Yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped, man. Uh, we're back, so it's very nice. Yeah, it's definitely been a long two-week hiatus due to some structural damage to the studio, but everything's all good, so let's get rolling here. First things first is some news on Mizzou sports. Mizzou football will return to the friendly confines tomorrow to battle the South Carolina Gamecocks at 3 o'clock Central Time. The Missouri Tigers will enter this contest with a 4-5 and five record after being demolished and held touchdown list by the number one team in the nation, the Georgia Bulldogs, last weekend. Meanwhile, the South Carolina Gamecocks are riding high into this weekend after defeating the Florida Gators 40-17 to last weekend with a dominant run game performance. Mizzou men's basketball just opened their 2021-22 season campaign uh, with a 78-68 victory against Central Michigan Tuesday night at Mizzou Arena. And then the Tigers improved to 5-2 in season openers against head coach Conzo Martin. And then the Mizzou women's basketball took down Murray State in a hard-fought battle 76-70 to begin their regular season last night. Tigers will return their homestand on Sunday to host Morgan State at 7 o'clock Central Time. Yeah, and the St. Louis Billikens, they uh, end their three-game homestand tonight against Eastern Illinois at 7 p.m. They did win their home opener 96-61 against Central Arkansas. They won Wednesday night against Harris, so 127-54. I don't even know why that game was even played, to be honest. And then a guy to really look out for this year for the Billikens is Gibson Jimerson. He's 6-for-11 in threes, and he has 38 points thus far. All right, let's get into Mizzou football here. Uh, so they are 4-5 and five on the season, and meaning the Tigers will need two wins in their last three games. So that includes South Carolina, Florida, and Arkansas to be bowl eligible. So the journey begins tomorrow here in Columbia against South Carolina. Missouri coach Eli Drinkwitz said the formula for beating the Gamecocks is to play a clean game on both sides of the ball. However, South Carolina did just beat the Florida uh, the Florida Gators to begin their November schedule with a bang with a 40-17 victory. 
So the Gamecocks, guys, have won three straight between 2016-2018, but Missouri, they have stormed back with consecutive wins last season and 2019. So, uh, Ryan, I'll start with you here. Who's going to take the 2021 edition? Yeah, Luca. They uh, they didn't just beat them. They knocked the socks off of Florida, forty to seventeen. Uh, the Gamecocks have looked really good. Now, Jason Brown, he played last game. I'm assuming that their uh, main quarterback Do- Dottie is injured right now, so maybe that's why Brown played. But against the Florida Gators, you know, he had two touchdowns and he went fourteen for twenty four. Um, and then rushing Kevin Harris, he had one hundred twenty eight yards. I'm expecting him to maybe put up that that amount against the Tigers. I will say the Tigers really shocked me and maybe shocked all of us in the studio as they actually had. Really Really good defense against the run against Georgia. So I'm expecting to see some better defense again against the Gamecocks. The spread's even, which kind of surprised me a little bit. But um, I'm expecting this game to be still really good and probably down to the wire. I will say, though, if I think if Mizzou's going to want to win this game, lead lead on uh, Tyler Beatty. And then, obviously, they have to have the passing game. Now, I don't know if Cook or Macon's going to play. Personally, I would like to see Macon out there. But, you know, it's up to drink and whatever drink does. You know, we'll see what happens. Well, first of all, we don't even know if Basilak's going to play. I mean, he practiced this week. So we have no clue who's starting at quarterback. So we got three quarterbacks who are capable of playing the quarterback position, but we have no clue who's playing. So that's going to definitely factor in tomorrow's game, especially if Basilak can play and be somewhat average. We get we, The Missouri Tigers got a shot. But let's mention this here first. The South Carolina Gamecocks beat the Florida Gators 40 to 17. Last time I checked, the Florida Gators were the best rushing uh, attack in the SEC dating back to last weekend. That is no longer the case. Let's just think about this. Before last weekend, the Gamecocks were held, they scored 23 points or fewer in their last seven games. So that's a little bit interesting here. So we got a team that's coming into this weekend with a ton of momentum on their side. And then you got a team that was just, they got the socks kicked off of them last week against Georgia, which was expected. I mean, we're not gonna, I'm not going to sit here and act like that wasn't going to happen. But you got South Carolina. You got Luke Dottie, who's hurt. So then you got this dude named Jason Brown, who's their quarterback. He started last week against Florida. He looked pretty solid out there. Completed 14 of 24 passes for 175 yards and two touchdowns. He looked pretty solid out there. But then you go to the running game. The running game, it has been pretty decent this year, I got to admit. You got a Missouri defense who is suspect, second worst against the rushing attack. But I'm not going to give South, I'm not going to exonerate South Carolina from that either. They're pretty bad against the run. So you got two teams defensively who can't stop the run. And then you got two teams in the passing game that are also that great. So when Missouri has the ball, Brian, you mentioned it, make Tyler Beatty the focal point of your offense. You got your weapons and your receivers. You got Kiki Chisholm. You, you, got, you got Lovett. You got Cooper, who has not been really consistent throughout the season. That could be the injury and so on and so forth. But in order for this game, in my opinion, this game is going to be based on the run because Both coaches know that, hey, his run defense isn't good. His run defense isn't good. We're going to run the ball through the entire game, and that's what I expect. This is going to be a run game completely, and we'll see what defense shows out the most. 
I genuinely think this is a pretty even matchup when you just look at the seasons for both Mizzou and South Carolina. Their records are mirror images of each other at 4-5 and five and 5-4, five and four, and both teams have, up, up against SEC competition, gotten blown out and played it close with other teams. So, And, and I want to mention, too, I think there's a sense of urgency for not just Mizzou, but both teams. Mizzou at four wins, you mentioned this, Luca. They need two out of their last three to get to a bowl game, and especially if you look ahead, they play Florida and uh, Arkansas to close it out. If you don't take this one at home, you can probably kiss a chance at the bowl game goodbye for Mizzou. So there's doubt, there's got to be a sense of urgency there. And South Carolina, they're at five wins. I'm sure they'd like to get to six wins and then kind of be able to relax and say, hey, we're, we're, we've got a good shot in this one. So there's going to be a sense of urgency for both teams. But I want to look at it for Mizzou real quick. And, and Obviously, I can't make a, a final determination with without knowing who's a quarterback. But whoever it is has to be a little bit careful when attacking that South Carolina secondary. Uh, South Carolina is tied for the SEC lead at eighth in the nation with 12 interceptions. So their takeover happy three of those have, have been returned for touchdowns. So, and, and uh, we've seen this Mizzou offense play games where they, where they run the ball, keep it away from the opponents, and play turnover free. And then there was other games like I can think of Tennessee off the top of my head where Bays like was could not see the field. He he wasn't seeing linebackers and threw multiple interceptions. So, and it, whether it's Bazelike or Macon or Cook, whichever one it is, has to be careful in that aspect of the game. And I I, I think. I, I love your point about running the football because whichever team in an evenly ma- in even matchup, I think whatever team is able to control the clock and, and keep the ball for longer and, and, and keep pu- uh, putting the pressure on not so great defenses is going to have the best shot here. Well, also we got to mention here that Tyler Bate is a superstar. He's oh, yeah. box office. He went over a thousand yards last week. He's been fantastic. Yeah, he's been over a thousand yards. So when you look at that and you look that he can be involved in the passing game, he's been elite. He has eleven touchdowns on the season. But then you got to look at the South Carolina lineup. You got Kevin. Kevin Harris, who looked like his 2020 self last weekend against Florida for 128 rushing yards against the Gators. And then don't forget about uh, Zaquandre White, who also took off for 111 yards last weekend. So that's about 300 yards against the Florida defense, who is basically a wall compared to the Missouri defense. So when I look at that, and you got a porous defense against the run, in both teams actually, it's not just Missouri, it's South Carolina too. They just happen to be a little bit better statistically. I'm going to say that for my score prediction, this game is going to be a little bit closer than some folks may anticipate. But I'm going to take South Carolina in this one, 27, Missouri 24. No, I like that, um, actually. I will say that I do do believe that the Tigers are going to be able to have that same rushing defense as last weekend against Georgia. If they're able to do that, that's going to obviously make it a lot easier on the Tigers. But the offense is what's going to... They really need to have a good offense. Now, obviously, we know Tyler Bay is going to be doing his thing. But if it is Bazelak, that man can... He needs to be more accurate with his throws. And if he's not, they're going to be in big trouble. I do expect for Chris Abrams' drain to keep getting roasted and toasted back there in the he's just been so bad in the secondary and like you said I think that South Carolina may have a bad secondary as well but I will say that Missouri has been pretty consistent in trying to put up 30 points or more at home I'm gonna give them that edge and I'm gonna say the Tigers gonna win this thing you ready for this on a walk-off field goal by Harrison Mavis 35 to 31 can I add to that 34 to 31 my he's bad. gonna be at Campus Grill so if you want to get to meet him and get a signature you go to Campus there Grill this go. weekend his his new burger and the fact that that's even allowed now in 20 2021 with college athletes is fantastic. I love that. So for my prediction, I'm I'm not positive, but I think I'm hitting an offer. And, and if we don't count the easy ones, the layups like East Texas and all those, because those are ones we should get right. But the tough ones, the SEC matchups, I don't know if I've hit on one this year. I I think it is also going to be an even matchup. I 
Mizzou had didn't cover a game all in at all this season until last week. I think they. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm back and forth on this one. I'm taking South Carolina 30-24 to 24 and, and put a dagger in Mizzou's bowl hopes. Well, I mean, this is just supposed to be facts. I mean, I'm not trying to be biased, but it, it's just the reality of the situation. Moving on to the NFL. Superman, the sequel began for the Carolina Panthers yesterday when quarterback Cam Newton returned to the team. He led to the Super Bowl back in 2015 with a one-year contract. The deal's worth up to $10 million for the remainder of the season, including a $4.5 million guaranteed and a $1.5 million roster bonus. Ben, I'll start with you here. Does the signing of Cam Newton put them in the playoffs? I am going to go with no, and it, honestly, it's more based on their situation that they're currently in more than just Cam Newton. Uh, Cam Newton will be an upgrade based on what they've had, although Sam Donald started off the year really nice. He was running the ball. He was leading the league in rushing touchdowns to like week three or four, but then he just got way too turnover happy. Cam will likely be an up- upgrade. I don't think we should take a lot of stock in what Cam did last year in a really bad scheme with really bad weapons in New England. I think he's better than that, and, and he'll play really well, and he's he's going to have one of the better weapons. He's played one of the played with in his career. Obviously, he had prime Greg Olson. And he had Steve Smith, but DJ Moore is really good, and it'll be one of the better weapons Cam has had to play with. But I want to look at this. Mm-hmm. So Cam Noon gets signed on a Thursday. It's too late for him to, to learn the playbook and everything for this Sunday's game. Mm-hmm. They play Arizona, and P.J. Walker's going to start. They're more likely they're not going to go to 4-6. and six. Exactly. And that keeps them at the basement of the NFC South. They're in fourth right now. All three of Tampa Bay, New Orleans, and Atlanta are ahead of them. So they're in fourth. they got to chase three teams. If you look at Carolina's schedule, especially down the stretch of the season, it is a nightmare. They still have to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice. They play the Saints in New Orleans, and they play the Bills. Those are their final four games to close out the season. So even though I think they'll win some games, I think they'll beat Washington in what will probably be Cam's first game. In that final four stretch of the season, maybe they steal one, but I don't even know about that. I, I... I, I like Brady over the Panthers both times. I don't necessarily trust the Panthers in New Orleans, even though they beat them, but that was in Carolina with completely different circumstances back in Week 2. So I like the defense, I like the weapons, and I like Cam Noon, but are they better than any of those 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 four teams and a couple others on the record? Probably not. And even, even though the seventh seed in the NFC is not great right now, it's the Falcons, who I believe are 4-4 four and four or 5-4, and four, whatever it is. 4-4. Four and four. Yeah. It's, it's, did I, do I think the, the Panthers can string enough wins together? Even if they surprise and, and win a couple upsets, I still have them around eight wins, and that maybe that gets them in, but I think it would take more like nine or ten. So it's, it's, even though I'm very excited to watch Cam Newton, like I legitimately am, I just don't think it's it's going to be enough based on if, if Carolina had a better record than, than what they're at right now, they'd have a shot, but they need to get off to a fast start this season, and they're not right now at four and five. Well, let's talk about this. Um, I'm looking at Atlanta's remaining schedule here. It's pretty tough. You got them Cowboys. You got the Patriots, Jaguars, Bucks. Panthers, 49ers, Lions, Bills, and Saints. So that is a tough schedule. I will admit, that is a tough schedule, but it is easier than it seems for the Panthers. I love me some Cam Newton. He's getting a happy ending by going back to North, to back to uh, Carolina. We all know that Cam Newton is a former league MVP back in 2015. He's a phenomenal athlete. He's not an accurate passer. With the expectation... Exception, excuse me, back in 2018 when North Turner was the offensive coordinator for Carolina. He completed 67% of his passes a year. Otherwise, he has never completed more than 60% of his passes in his NFL career. So let's get that out of the way. You look at Carolina right now. 
They started 3-0 and this season. And the reason they started 3-0 and is because they played three garbage teams coming out of the season. The Texans, the Jets, and there was another one, but I forgot what it was. Saints in Week 2, I don't think that's, that Saints team is much better now. Exactly, and Jameis Winston's out now. But let's, get, let's just start talking for right now. I'm going to get to Sam Darnold. Good Lord have mercy. He's out for four to five weeks with some shoulder tear or something like that. <coughs> he was awful. The last couple of weeks. This is what happens when you get drafted by the New York Jets. You get coached by Adam Gase, and you're contaminated for life. That's what happened with Sam Darnold. I feel horrible for the guy. He seems like a nice dude. Carolina dr- traded a ton of draft capital for him, and it looks like they're going to regret that for a while now. I mean, this dude started the season pretty good. He has 11 interceptions now compared to seven touchdowns. He ain't great at all. He has looked like garbage the last couple of weeks. I mean, they had to have P.J. Walker come in the game. P.J. Walker, an XFL star. I mean, that's pretty bad when you when you start talking about that. I mean, <coughs> excuse me. They signed Matt Barkley to the practice squad. I'm not going to read anything into Matt Barkley. But Cam Newton will not be playing this Sunday. So I'm going to assume they're going to lose this Sunday. But when you look at Cam Newton, his ability to run with the football Move the chains with his legs. I mean, he was the first quarterback to do it, really, if you think about it, besides Michael Vick. But when you see what Cam Newton can do with his legs, find open receivers. I mean, they got better receivers than what he had in New England. I mean, when you got Nikhil, Harry, Matt, Lacasse, Jacoby Myers, not Jacoby and Myers, Jacoby Myers. You got DJ Moore. You got Christian McCaffrey, who should be back later. You got Robbie Anderson. You got Cheba Hubbard. You got all these dudes that can make plays on the on the on the on the field. You got receivers that could be lethal. And when you do that, and when you have that at your disposal, you could be lethal in a way that you can get your team wins. Now, I'm looking at their stats. Carolina is actually still a really good defense, even though they've looked like trash in the past weeks. They have the second best defense in the National Football League. Their offense is garbage. Okay, without Christian McCaffrey. Their team is obviously one-dimensional in terms of passing the football. And it's just a matter of sense. They are 29th in the passing game. They are worse than the Chicago Bears. So when you are worse than the Chicago Bears in the passing game, there is something wrong with you. So clearly Sam Darnold has not done his job. Clearly is that. Cam Newton coming in, I don't think it can get any worse. I believe in Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. He got Joe Burrow to be a star in LSU. Sam Darnold looked pretty good the first three weeks. I'm not sure what happened after that, but I believe in Cam Newton, and I think this is going to be a good sequel. However, when I look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady and the crew, I look at the New Orleans Saints, even though Trevor Simeon's there and Jameis Winston's done for the team, and I still believe them in more. You got Matty Ice on the Falcons. I believe him in more. Just the Carolina Panthers, they're going to fall short. Yep, and the... Another thing I didn't really talk about with Carolina, their offensive line is atrocious, and Cam's mobility will make up for some of that. And and Sam's Darnold's hit at a little bit because Sam is it's is somewhat mobile, but it's it's still it's still not good whatsoever. Their defense will keep them in games. I expect them to play some of these teams close. It seems like the Panthers kind of play a little bit better in the in these division matchups, but it's it's still not enough for me. If you want to look at, I I found this funny yesterday after they signed Cam Noon. Cam Newton cut bait, or the Panthers cut bait with Cam Newton prior to the 2020 season. So now after signing him back, the Panthers are paying Cam Newton to be the replacement for Cam Newton's replacement. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah, that's that that seems like it's about right. And that defense, by the way, I mean, mentioned you got Jeremy Shin, who is a great player. You got Brian Burns at the defensive end. He played really good last week, and that was a dirty tackle on Mac Jones' part. I believe Brian Burns every minute of the day. I mean, I watched the tape. It was a dirty tackle. But Carolina, they got a good defense, and, I, and I'm happy for them. And they look like they have a bright future. Yeah, no, they've, they've got pieces. They've got a lot of young pieces as well. I think there's going to be a little bit of scrutiny over the next couple of years. The fact that they took J.C. Horn over Justin Fields. Now, J.C. Horn is a really good corner, but their defense has been playing really well without Horn because Horn's been injured. So right. who knows? It's, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. You can't predict the future. But I think in a, in a draft class where you had to get your guy last year because the QB spot, the draft class this year is not as bright, they could look back and be like, should we really have rolled the dice and, and traded for a guy that didn't work in New York, or should we have went and got a franchise guy out of Ohio State and Fields? We'll, we'll never know. It's hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, no, Luke, I definitely agree. I think this is going to be a nice little uh, reunion for Cam Newton. Um, one thing I wanted to mention out was uh, this quote that he said. He said, you cannot live with your own failure, and where did that bring you back to me? That was pretty good, the little, was good. Little, little Thanos one. Um, but, yeah, I, I will say that – you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Christian McCaffrey is on my fantasy team. I'm pretty sure he played last weekend. Okay. So I think he is back. I think that's going to help Cam Newton out a lot. Plus, he also has Robbie Anderson, you know, DJ uh, Morris, guys like this. So, yeah, I don't, I think they do come up just short in the, uh, in the playoff spot. But it's going to be good to have Cam Newton back. He's definitely going to get him a couple more wins, which is going to be nice for them. All right, we will head to break. When we get back from break, more NFL coverage coming at you and around the waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. The student voice of your Missouri Tigers will be right back. You love them enough to Ryan, do you anything. Chris Bryant's Mom, I need to be wiped. Coming. Including checking NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. This is an important message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. As the cleanup process begins after a natural disaster, there may be areas of flooding. Constantly watch your children to prevent playing in or around water. Get out of there! It doesn't take long and it doesn't take much water for young children to drown. Why? In many cases, children who drowned had been out of sight less than five minutes and were in the care of one or both parents at the time. To learn more, call CDC at 800-CDC-INFO. All right, folks, you know what time it is. Week 9 just got over, so that means we head to week 10 and in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We got Luca's Legend Daily List. You know, Ryan, it's been a hot minute, but we're going to get to this legendary list. I'm not counting last night's loss to the Miami Dolphins for these Ravens because simply it was a mistake. But we're going to get to the list right now. Let's go to number five. Please give it to me. The Baltimore Ravens. Why? They came all the way back to beat the Minnesota Vikings in overtime last weekend. In fact, they were down 17-3 to in the second quarter at a point. This team is tenacious. They're lethal, etc. Lamar Jackson, he is showing the world this season he can fling the football and be a threat through the air besides utilizing his legs to move the chains. In fact, they are a top-10 team in the league with a passing attack. You have an elite tight end in Mark Andrews, an effective receiving corn Hollywood Brown, Rashad Bateman, and Sammy Watkins, and the crew. They had the league's first best running game despite missing J.K. Dobbins in Gus. Edwards, they're they're filling it in with Devonte Freeman, Latavius Murray, and Le'Veon Bell. And let's not forget that Lamar Jackson, he is a running 
rusher, too. He rushed for 120 yards against the Vikings as well. Their defense is elite, even without Marcus Peters. Dudes like Deshaun Elliott, Patrick Queen, and Marlon Humphrey. They're stepping up to play and getting to the quarterback. Let's get to number four, please. Give it to me. The Los Angeles Chargers. Why so fine? is so fly. Justin Herbert, he is that dude. He is prolific. He is lethal. He's elite. He is determined when the Chargers need to get back in the win column. They did just that. Justin Herbert, he delivered and made it happen. Their first in the AFC West, by the way. He made it. He had back-to-back subpar performances, but he showed up last weekend against the Eagles, completed 84% of his passes, and that game threw for 356 yards for two touchdowns, and he rushed for one. Austin Eckler is balling in the backfield. He is gaining yardage and moving the chains. You got Keenan Allen. You got Mike Williams. You got Jared Cook at the crew. They're doing their thing in the receiving game. The defense is opportunistic with Joey Bosa, Darwin Jones, and the crew. Let's get to number three, please. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Why? Their defense against the run has looked phenomenal throughout the season. The second-best defense against the run. While their secondary is still decimated by injuries, but everyone, people, are, they're coming back. Have you seen Tom Brady, a top-ten quarterback this season, age 43, filling the fling fling of the football to Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, even though he is hurt right now. Antonio Brown, Ronald Jones, and Leonard Fournette in the backfield. O.J. Howard now is playing. He's looking good. The best passing offense in the National Football League, might I add. MVP candidate Tom Brady, you could book it right now. Firing in all cylinders on offense by balancing the run game and the passing attack. Leonard Fournette looking alive in that backfield, moving the chains and adding another component to this already lethal offense. Let's get to number two, please. The Tennessee Titans. Why? Did you see what they did to the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football? They dismantled Matthew Stafford on that offense. They avoided them to get any sort of rhythm. And oh my God, did Jeffrey Simmons, did he destroy that offensive line? Sacked Stafford three times. The secondary reading the offense and just creating havoc. Oh, and Derrick Henry, the most talented player on the Titans. He wasn't even there. He was injured. This squad is resilient. They cannot be dismantled. They cannot be dismissed. They're on a four-game winning streak over the Bills, Chiefs, Colts, and now the Rams. I can't ignore that. And let's get to number one, please. The Arizona Cardinals. How about Colt McCoy subbing in for the injured Kyler Murray and looking outstanding? This team didn't miss a beat beating the 49ers last weekend. You got DeAndre Hopkins. He was also out last weekend. And I can't ignore how they dropped 31. And A.J. Green was on the COVID list last weekend. They still beat the 49ers in good fashion. Their weapons are solid receivers. You got A.J. Green, DeAndre Hopkins. You got lethal other weapons like Christian Kirk and Zach Ertz at the tight end position. You got a backfield in James Conner and Chase Edmonds, who's sadly going to miss some time. He will. We should be praising Kyler Murray right now for his ability, for his ability to be rushing the football, to basically throw the football and escape pressure. Plus, their defense is opportunistic. You got Chandler Jones rushing off the edge. They got the speed on the defensive side. They are uh, they are only one loss on the season, firing at all cylinders, and they're putting everybody on notice. Floor is yours. I think the top three is perfect. Um, Arizona, there's not that many teams that could go divisional matchup on the road with backup QB without their two wide receivers and lose their starting running back early and still absolutely roll. It's that that team is is really bad. Like they have they have good pieces everywhere on offense and defense, and even with injuries, they still find ways to get wins. Uh, I I said coming into the season I wasn't too high on Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury. I was wrong. 
He's been coaching fantastic, and you can see the players really rally behind him. So Arizona is going nowhere. They are legitimate threats to win the Super Bowl. They were fantastic. And then Tennessee and Tampa Bay, I don't have to talk about them. Tennessee has really flexed their muscle over the last couple of weeks, and Tampa Bay with Brady will be also be Super Bowl contenders. Number four, I kind of want to see one more week out of the Chargers. They have a home matchup this week with Minnesota, and even though Minnesota's 3-5, and five, that's a tough matchup because Minnesota plays everyone close, whether it be the Detroit Lions you know, or the Arizona Cardinals. I got to admit, Minnesota's the best three and five team I think I've ever seen. I th- they I saw a tweet they would play the the zero and sixteen Detroit Lions in two thousand eight close, but they would also play the undefeated sixteen and zero New England Patriots close. They just refused to have an easy game. You know, if the Minnesota Vikings could close out games, they could almost have the same win as the Packers. They could. They but really could. It, it's a coaching thing. It's going to change after the season, and, and that's why they're not in the top five at the moment. But anyway, car, uh, Chargers, I do think they're a very good team. They have a legitimate shot to win an AFC West that there's no clear favorite at the moment. And I, I think I'll be – if they win what I believe is a tough matchup this week at home, where there will probably be more Vikings fans than Chargers fans in, in that stadium, it's, it, then then I'm really sold. And then five, the Ravens, I, I like you, I don't take a whole lot of stock in last night. Miami's defense has shown flashes of being really good, and they were fantastic last night and if you just look at the AFC contenders every every one of them has some weird laws Bills to the Jags last week Titans to the Jets so I, I think Baltimore gets right back on it they're gonna have some big matchups coming up in the next couple weeks they play Cleveland twice in three weeks so that, that could go a long way in determining the AFC North if Cleveland kind of figures things out so I, I I'm not taking a whole lot of stock Packers, I, I think, eventually will end up in this list, but they didn't look great at all last week, but obviously it was a Jordan Love. So it, there's there's a lot of fluidity, as you always say, in this list. It is fluid. And it's awesome because the NFL is very top-heavy, especially in the NFC. There's so many good teams. Before Ryan goes on here, i got to admit, the Chiefs are somehow still in it. The AFC is still wide open. Speaking of the AFC West, that division is wide open. The Broncos yep. won. Believe the Raiders lost. You could, you can. Uh, they lost to the Giants, but they're still at five and four, I believe. I cannot believe how wide open this AFC is. You, you can't really tell who's really that team to beat. Yeah, because I've, the, I mean, the Ravens just lost to the Dolphins, the Bills lost to the Jaguars, and the Titans lost to the Jets. So I, I'm not sure what to take into stock really right now. Especially with the AFC West, I have. If you had to give me one to pick right now, I, I could. I could probably make an argument for all four of them, especially I know Denver has weakness at the quarterback position, even though I was high on Teddy, whatever. But Denver's defense— well, he looked they, good last weekend against the Cowboys. If, if Denver's defense plays like they did against Dallas last week, they can stay in, in games, and they have they still have pieces in the running game and at their zero position. Mm-hmm. And then Raiders, I, I love Carr this year. Mahomes, is, if, if he figures it out, Chiefs are in it. And then the, the, the Chargers with Herbert and Eckler and everyone they have, I mean— I, you could legitimately argue for all four to come out of the AFC West. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so AFC West, it's, it's really funny. Every team has five wins. There's, every team has five wins. You know, there should be one team there that shouldn't have five wins. And we all know it should be the Chiefs. But my man Aaron had to go out, and we all know what happened to him. So then Jordan Love, you know, he kind of dropped the ball. But I'm not mad at him. It's obviously his first game. And, man, if that game never happened, I know the Packers make your list 100%. They've been oh, yeah. they've been really good this year. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if Rodgers is able to play this weekend. Even if he's not, I think Jordan Love is going to have a better game. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers do make 
make your list next weekend. But uh, yeah, obviously the Cardinals have to be number one. That's just they've been so good. And like you said, with Murray coming, with Murray going away for one game, McCoy played really, really good. I was not really expecting that. I was expecting maybe the Cardinals to lose again. I will mention because you know this is my time on the mic. The Cardinals are a team that did lose to a Green Bay uh, Devonte Adams team. So I'm I'm very happy about that. That was a crazy game. For number two, oh man, how I love that the Titans destroyed the Rams, and then the Rams get OBJ, which we're probably talking about here soon. They're like, oh, we're gonna win the Super Bowl now. You literally lost to the Titans without their best running back. I I can't make this up, man. And obviously the Titans are sitting on that spot, seven and two. The Buccaneers, yeah, they lost to the Saints. I'm pretty sure, but you know they still have Tom Brady. And once uh, Grant comes back, they're gonna figure stuff out. Uh, the Chargers kind of surprised me a little bit on this list, but yeah, Justin Herbert, he's just been really, really good. And then obviously with the Ravens, I'm with you guys both. I'm not gonna take any stock into the game that happened last night. They've been a really good come from behind team, and I think they're still gonna be able to do that the rest of the way. I will say it's going to be very interesting in the AFC North because I think the Browns are gonna start coming alive. The Bengals, I'm 50-50 on them right now, man. I thought they were going to be really good, and then they dropped two. They lost to the Jets, and then obviously the Browns. Um, they have a bye week, so they have some time to get some things together, and then they play again uh, in week 11, so we'll see if they're actually back-back, but I really do think the Browns are probably back, and they're going to start t- taking advantage in the AFC North. Yeah, we shall see, but let's get to the big news yesterday that really broke out. Odell Beckham Jr. has agreed to a one-year contract with the Los Angeles Rams yesterday. He became a free agent when he cleared waivers on Tuesday after being released by the Cleveland Browns. The Kansas City Chiefs, Green Bay Packers, New Orleans Saints, New England Patriots, and the Seattle Seahawks were among the other teams that Beckham considered this week. Ben, I'll start with you here. Did OBJ make the right decision by signing with the LA Rams? I think... I think saying it is the right decision is kind of just based on what what Odell Beckham was looking for. Los Angeles fits his lifestyle. I mean, if you're comparing it to Green Bay, Wisconsin, I'm sure Odell Beckham. It's cold. Beck- yeah, it's, it's very cold. Obviously, Odell played in New York where it was cold, but at least in, in, in New York, you still have the media in the spotlight. You don't necessarily get that in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But in L.A., he's going out there. He's going out there to hang out with his best friend, LeBron. He's going to be in prime position to win a ring, which he's never been really close to winning one. The farthest he got was one playoff game with the Giants. So, I mean, I I I I think he's going to take some targets from Robert Woods. The offense still runs to Cooper Cup and I don't see that changing, but he will face a lot of single coverage where he will feast against and especially with Matthew Stafford getting the ball. Even though I'm not as low on Baker Mayfield as some people are, he was very bad in getting Baker and getting Odell Beckham Jr. the football. And even when Odell was open, you saw a lot of overthrows and underthrows. Stafford will be a lot better at that. So I expect a lot better numbers out of Odell Beckham Jr. But really all this says to me is there's just no more. There's no excuse for the Rams. There's no excuses for Matthew Stafford. The Rams have all in on this team. They get Von Miller. They get Odell Beckham Jr. They don't have another first-round pick until we're graduated from college. So this team, they are built to win now. They're on us team and also no excuses for Matthew Stafford this is by far the best team he's ever played with he's played fantastic this year and if, as long as he continues to play like that they're in prime position to go to the Super Bowl but if, if they get to the playoffs and it's a gigantic letdown where Stafford just doesn't play well there's going to be a lot of criticism there because they have built this team to win around Matthew Stafford and there's no excuses now you're absolutely right about there's no excuses In terms of Odell Beckham Jr., he made the wrong decision here. The reason I say that is because this offense is built around Cooper Cup. It is clear as day. They are all about the passing game. Sunni Michelle is the running back right now, and so is Henderson. 
I don't really see them getting the ball a lot. This is about Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup being the focal point of the offense. I don't see Robert Woods, Ben Jefferson, Higby getting a lot of targets. Why would Odell Beckham Jr. get a lot of targets? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, you saw him Cleveland, Jarvis Landry, Rashad Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was getting more targets than OBJ. Why would OBJ get more targets in Los Angeles when he's actually playing with better receivers? That doesn't make any sense to me. So what I mean by that is I wanted him to go to New England because when you go to New England, you got Kendrick Bourne, you got Nelson Aguilar, you got other cats that you're going to play with, but he would be already the biggest focal point in that offense because it's OBJ. He's not Nelson Aguilar. He's not Kendrick Bourne. No disrespect, but it's OBJ. I understand that no one wants to play in Foxborough when it's cold. I wouldn't want to go somewhere where it's cold either. That's why I probably didn't go to Green Bay because it's cold. But he in, in Green Bay, as a Bears fan, he would have made Green Bay even more lethal. I mean, when you got Devontae Adams, you got Tanya Jr., you got Lazard, Tanya's out for the year, but yeah. Yeah, but OBJ would already be the second-best receiver on that team, by far. So when you look at what he chose, even if you look at Seattle, I understand they have a sub-500 record, and that's because Russell Wilson's out. You're not really going to win games with Geno Smith. So when I look at that, when you have DK Metcalf, when you got Tyler Lockett, when you got Gerald Everett at the tight end position, OBJ would fit right in that system. I know he would. But choosing the Los Angeles Rams doesn't make sense to me. Now, I could see why he did it, and that is to beat Tom Brady in the NFC Championship game. That makes sense to me because this is all about beating Tom Brady. That's why Von Miller signed with the Los Angeles Rams to beat Tom Brady. This is what it's all about. So when I look at the Los Angeles Rams, they're a very good team. Don't get me wrong. Matthew Stafford has played his heart out this entire year. I mean, going into this season, there are a lot of questions surrounding what Matthew Stafford is because he was held in Detroit for so long, basically being held hostage. So when you look at a guy that is thrown for almost 2,800 yards at this point for uh, 20 tu- 23 touchdowns and six interceptions, it's pretty impressive for a guy that has been in Detroit for so or for so long. When you got Cooper Cup, someone who's already had 10 touchdowns, when you got Robert Woods, Van Jeff- Jefferson, Tyler Higby, Deshaun Jackson's no longer there, so I believe that's going to be OBJ's spot now to take over. So when I look at that, when I look at a passing game that's re- relatively effective, a top five passing attack to be exact in the National Football League, the third best, when I look at a defense that has started picking it up, it's slack the last couple of weeks with Jalen Ramsey in the secondary with Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd. We know what they could do to the quarterback. When I look at this team now, and Von Miller's now added this team, so it's giving more dangerous, I don't see that this is the right decision for him. I understand he wants a ring, but for someone that wants to be more involved in the offense, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, okay, so let me uh, get my two cents in here. Obviously, I am a Packers fan. Am I mad that that OBJ did not come? Not at all, because like like Ben said, our defense is running around Devontae Adams. The Rams is running around Cooper Cup. Here's the thing that I just don't understand about NFL players, and we all know that he the 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 team was in his court. OBJ was allowed to pick whoever he wanted to go to. The thing I just didn't understand about was how he kept saying, "Oh, I really want to play with the Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I really want to play in New England." And then out of left field, you know, he, he probably is like, "You know what? I want to stay in Los Angeles." So then he goes to the Rams. And obviously, me being being raised, being grown up in St. Louis, seeing them be so bad my whole entire childhood to now being so good, it just makes me want to. I don't even know. It just makes me so mad. So 
I still think that the Packers and now the Rams and the Buccaneers are probably the, the three teams that come out of the like go to the NFC Championship. At least one of those three teams, two of those Ooh, three no, teams will make no it. Cardinals. Oh, and the Cardinals. My bad. Say, yeah, like, sorry. Where's Murray okay. sorry, sorry, and the Cardinals. Um, but I will say that yes, this does give the Rams a little bit more of an edge over some teams because they do have OBJ. The one thing that obviously hurts for them is that Robert Woods is not going to be getting as many targeted. And he wasn't I honestly, getting many targets to begin with. That's true. And I could see that Robert Woods, with this with this signing, is probably going to be gone in the offseason because they probably want Coop and OBJ. Maybe they'll get someone else. But one of the, my favorite things the whole entire time that OBJ was trying to decide to go, Bruce Aaron said he has AB. He doesn't want another OBJ. That was amazing. Too many letters. Oh, I love that. That was good, honestly. Like, you know, it's just, I understand what the Rams are trying to do here. They want to win the Super Bowl. I mean, they made so many moves where they moved so much draft capital to get Matthew Stafford. At this point, they don't have any more draft capital at this point, early on draft capital, that is. So when you're making moves like this, you got Von Miller now, now you got OBJ, the excuses are gone. You cannot be losing the way you did last weekend to the Titans. You can't be losing the way you did to the Arizona Cardinals and look flat beyond belief. This is where OBJ comes into play. You need to make your offense, you need to distribute the ball more evenly among your receivers. We understand Cooper Cup's the focal point, but get OBJ involved. Get Robert Woods involved. You have quality receivers. I also think this makes sense to the Rams because if you look at the landscape of the NFC and some of the top contenders, Tampa Bay has some secondary issues that if your wide receiver three is Odell Robert Woods, whatever one ends up being, they will destroy your third cornerback or whatever safety you put on them. Green Bay has some issues in the secondary after Jair Alexander. And it's you can go down the list with the other top NFC teams. They have some secondary weaknesses. And so when you have three elite receivers, a pretty good tight end in Higby, one of those is going to easily be a mismatch. Maybe in two of those matchups are mismatches. So they can easily attack there. Not that they already weren't doing that, but now it just adds another level. I also want to uh, shout out Justin Jefferson for talking to his, his buddy from LSU, Odell Beckham Jr., and telling him, hey, don't go to the Packers. We still have to play you twice. So I don't know if that actually factored in, but I just I appreciate it. That's another reason why Justin Jefferson is one of my favorite players in the league. <laughs> All right. We'll get head into break real quick, and when we get back from break, NBA discussion here on Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM. We'll be right back. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Life can be dramatic. But day-to-day relationships aren't always like you see on TV. You can help the young people in your life work through the drama by engaging them in conversations about healthy relationships. Use Connect With Me activity cards to start discussions on this subject and other topics that matter to teens. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. All right, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM, the student voice of your Missouri Tigers. Getting into more NBA discussion right now, we've seen plenty of intriguing factors in the NBA season thus far. Whether that's Markeith Morris and Nikola Jokic getting heated at one another, resulting in fines and suspensions, 
or the Golden State Warriors off to a scorching start to their season. That is without Clay Thompson and J- J- James Wiseman, my ad. All right, so Ben, t- we got to get in your basketball brief right now. Um, I want to ask you the first question here. Bless me your knowledge, please. Are the Chicago Bulls a team that I haven't really mentioned for a decade, a legitimate threat in the Eastern Conference? I believe they are, Luca. Thanks for that. And, uh, so if we look at right now at the Bulls, they're 8-3. They're second in the East, and all three of their losses were close. They lost back-to-back to the 76ers, which for whatever reason, whether for the past like five years, they cannot beat Joel Embiid. That's going to have to change if they want to be continues, contenders. Regardless, they're second in the East right now. I had them coming into the season around a 6-7 to seven seed if they gelled, but I think they're better than that, especially if you look at an East where uh, you, you don't know what the 76 is with the Ben Simmons situation. The Nets don't have Kyrie as good as Harden and, and K. ADR, there's still some issues there. So so who even knows at the top of the East? And if the Bulls keep playing like this, they have a very legitimate shot. If you look at their roster, Levine and DeMar DeRozan, each are averaging 25-plus points a game. I want to shout out Bleach Report, who uh, said DeMar DeRozan was one of the worst acquisitions of the offseason. That looks fantastic for them right now because DeMar DeRozan is playing fantastic base- basketball. And from mid-range, he's been absolutely deadly. So you got those who can score. Lonzo Ball has been the point guard the Bulls have been missing for the last four to five years. They have not had a true facilitator on offense, and Lonzo has been a fantastic three-point shooter for the Bulls. So you may not see it in the scoring numbers, but he has been fantastic at facilitating the offense, and him and Zach Levine have that UCLA duo going on. They've been great. Nikola Vucevic is adding, averaging a double-double. He's going to miss a few games on the Colotus, but regardless, he's had struggles on defense, but you still can count on him for rebounds in 10 to 15 points a game. Alves Caruso off the bench has added a defensive factor. He had six steals against the Dallas Mavericks. He's been fantastic. And they're getting Kobe White, a guy who can who can score in, in, in quick fashion with the three ball coming off the bench. So their bench will get stronger. And I, I, I love what I've seen so far. And when they got out to a fast start, 4-0, whatever it was, it was like, okay, they're just beating bad teams. But no, they ever since then, they've beat the Jazz, the Nets, and the Mavericks. So I think they're starting to prove to a lot of people they're legit. They've, they've uh, I mean, if you look at their three losses, only one of them has been on the road, so they can play both both home and away. But there's going to be a gigantic test here coming up. You mentioned the Warriors, who are a fantastic watch right now. If you just want to watch any team play, tune into the Warriors, because that is a fun team. Bulls play the Warriors tonight at 9 o'clock on ESPN. So NBA fans, tune into that one, because that is potentially a really good game. But Bulls on this West Coast trip play the Warriors, Clippers, Lakers, and Blazers. All in a row, all on the West Coast on the road. That is a tough stretch if you can have one. So that's really going to come. We're really going to see here all the Bulls legitimate contenders. If they go, even if I think they were to go 2-2 two and two on that West Coast trip, I think that's success. It is hard to win on the road, especially hard for a team like Chicago to go out West and win. So I think they're legit. They're 8-3 right now. I'm, I've bought in. I've... I, it, it's awesome as a Bulls fan because the last four to five years have just been absolutely atrocious. I'm sure you're happy as well, Luca. but this it's, it's just a fun team right now. Yeah, before I give it to Ryan here, I got to admit, I don't think I've actually watched the Bulls since Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose. You know how long ago that was? Lowell, Dang, Joakim, Noah, Carlos, Boozer. These guys don't even play anymore. Derrick Rose still plays. But the rest of these dudes don't even play anymore. So that's just how proves how long it's been. 
Hey, uh, yeah, Ben, one more time. Can you say what you said about Lonzo for the people in the back? Lonzo Ball has been a fantastic signing for the Chicago Bulls. Whether it was tampering or not to get him to come to Chicago, I'm glad that they did it because if you look at the Bulls, uh, it's, they really have not had a, like a real point guard for the last couple of years. They had Rose in his prime when he was on the court, but since then, Kobe White, I don't necessarily think he is a starting point guard as much as I love him. And if you look outside of that, I mean... I, I couldn't tell you who else has been starting at point guard, but Lonzo has been that guy. He fixed his shooting motion. He's been knocking down the three ball at a fantastic rate this year. And, like, he offers so much more to a basketball team than just the stats show. He is, like I've said it multiple times, a facilitator. He offers a ton on defense, and he has, has been such a, a huge pickup in, in more than just the numbers. Hey, prediction, real quick, prediction for tonight. Lonzo Ball, game-winning three-pointer against Warriors. You heard it here first, folks. Well, Steph Curry's dropping 40, but that's never here or there. Uh, ben, I got to ask you this. Um, I look in the Eastern Conference right now, and I see a team that was pretty damn good last year. And that would be the Atlanta Hawks. They're third to worst right now. Trey Young, all those, all those cats that are on that team. What's going on with the Hawks? I think there's a slight bit of hangover. I know they didn't make it to the finals, but they made a lot deeper of a playoff run than anyone expected. They took they took the Bucks to what is it, six games, seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think this could be a little bit of <clears throat> last year there were really no expectations. This year coming into the season, expectations were high. There's a lot of people that had them as a third or fourth seed up there competing with the top dogs like the Nets and the Bucks. And I think they're putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves right now. It's I, I honestly don't really know. I don't have a, a definitive answer for that one. I do think they they will start to figure it out. They'll they'll certainly end up in a playoff spot. But I I just the the only explanation I have at this moment is that unexpected deep playoff run has raised their level of expectations. And as of right now, with such a young team, that their first experience of a playoff run was last year, they're kind of falling short of their expectations. They're putting too much pressure on themselves. If they can get away with that, they're they're certainly much closer to that team we saw last year than the team that is playing right now. And they're always going to be deadly with, with Trey Young at the helm. Okay, so now to shift my focus more to the Western Conference. I look at a team at the Warriors who are 10 and 1 without Klay Thompson, without James Wiseman, and you got Jordan Poole right now who is playing phenomenal ball. You got Steph Curry shooting out the lights. So when you got someone like Steph Curry who who's already the MVP in my mind, can you tell me how they've had this much success this early? Well, this this roster is built really well, which I did not see coming because when a couple years ago when they lost most of their stars, it was it was Steph Curry, a hurt Clay Thompson, Draymond, and, and then really who else? But this roster has a ton of dudes on it. Uh, Steph Curry does not need to drop forty plus points every night for them to win games. I mean, there's uh, what uh, Andrew Wiggins against the Timberwolves the other yeah. night is. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns said it with the revenge games thing. If that dude could figure out how to play anywhere near that every night, that makes him even more deadly. I know he won't because we've been saying this about Andrew Wiggins for the last five years. But this this roster is deep. They're going to add Clay Thompson, whether it be at Christmas, January, February, whenever it is. If I, I mean... This this team is a legitimate chance to be title contenders out of the West. Especially, there's no one else really in the West who's kind of jumped out to that early lead that is like 
really shown me that they are going to run away with this thing. The Warriors at 10-1, and one, it's like like I said earlier, they, they don't need Steph Curry to drop 40-plus points every night. Andrew Wiggins has played a role. Draymond Green is better when he doesn't have to be, when he can play more of that defense and then play his role in the paint. You don't need him to be your number two scorer, which has been fantastic. And they're going to add in Wiseman and, like, there were talks about making uh, making Andrew Wiggins a trade piece when Clay Thompson comes back. I don't even think they need to do that anymore. They can just run it with Andrew Wiggins and run it with this really deep roster that they have. Why mess with that chemistry? Because they're ten and one. There's no reason to change it. And I think they can go up against any top contending team. Okay, quick response here. Even though this is a really deep um, question here, because we're only eleven games for the Warriors in the season, can they go to the finals this year? I think they can go to the finals. It's going to depend a little bit on health, uh, just for the Warriors and for other teams as well. If the Lakers are fully healthy and figured out, I know we're going to get to the Lakers. They they are certainly contenders. The Jazz are going to be contenders, whether they're a regular season team or not. I don't know. They're they're certainly going to be contenders. The Nuggets will potentially add Jamal Murray back later in the year. Their starting five with him in it is still really good. But regardless... I don't know if there's necessarily the way that it's played out so far through 11 games. If there's a roster that has played as deep as the Warriors has so far this season, Jordan Poole at breakout campaign, he has been fantastic for them. I, I, I mean, you think about it. Well, potentially, I know it's not going to be for another maybe two months. You look at a starting lineup that includes Steph, Jordan Poole, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond. I know they're running a little bit small there. I mean, you could swap one of those guys out for Wiseman. It's still, that is a starting five good enough to compete with with any of the top two teams, whether it be in the West or in the finals. Because if I mean, I mean, you're you're banking on to to, to contend with the Warriors. You would need a healthy Lakers team or one of the other teams in the West to step up, and then in the East you would need. I mean. If you look at their starting five, I would take it over. I would take it over a lot of teams in the wet or a lot of teams in the East as well. So I, without a doubt, think the Warriors are making a potential run at the finals. All right, to wrap up for today, um, going to the Los Angeles Lakers. They're they're currently in the seventh seed spot, seven and five. Nothing really special here. You got. You got LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Rusbrook, Kamal Anthony, Aldridge. I, I got to ask you: Should the Lakers? Should they regret signing Westbrook this offseason? As as much as the if you look at some of his shooting numbers and the some of the weird shots he's taken in the clutch, it does not look fantastic. But it just if you check out the circumstances, he was the best option available for the Lakers. They needed a starting point guard at the time. And, I mean, obviously they weren't going to run it back with Dennis Schroeder. So, I mean, one of the other options that was out there in the offseason for the Lakers was Buddy Hill. Would you rather have Buddy Hill or Westbrook right now? I think that'll – I mean – if if you just look at it, Westbrook was probably the best option available. And one of the big things I know it's been brought up because um, it's already happened is Westbrook will win you some games when the other guys are hurt. They've lost some of those games already. They've lost the Thunder twice. But I do think as the season goes on, there will be a game where with a, such an old roster and an injury prone LeBron, Anthony Davis, Anthony Street Clothes Davis, they will miss a game <laughs> and Russell Westbrook will be in there playing because he's dependable and durable and he will win them a couple of those games. If you looked at the Lakers game the other night against the Heat, look at the bench. Half the bench is in street clothes. So it's with such an old roster and an injury-prone roster, there's no doubt in my mind that there will be multiple games where both LeBron, Anthony Davis, maybe even Carmelo are all not playing, but Westbrook will be in there, and he will, he, it's, even if it's against a bad team, he will win you a game that they otherwise will not 
have won if they didn't get Westbrook. I think the inconsistency with Westbrook will also kind of start to even out as the season goes on. I mean, he goes one for three a week, one for 13, excuse me, a week ago on shooting, and then comes back a couple days ago and shoots nearly 50%. So that's about as inconsistent as it gets, but I have to believe that it starts to kind of even out. And if the Lakers do kind of get to full strength, I, I like him in the playoffs if they are healthy, if they can... I, I say this, it's much easier said than done. You when, when the Lakers are healthy, he has to work a little bit of those horrible shots in the clutch out of his game and leave that more to LeBron and Anthony Davis. But regardless, circling back to your original question, he was just the best option available. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are because the numbers aren't great for Westbrook this season. But I uh, the, f- I, the fantasy numbers are though. Oh, I mean, if yeah. you look at the points <laughs> and assists, he's putting up numbers, but he's also putting up numbers on a lot of shots. And if you go, if you're because the Lakers at 75 have played a lot of very close games, and a lot of them where they've either made a shot in the clutch or Russell Westbrook has missed a shot in the clutch. So I have to believe, and if you look at Westbrook for his career, I'm not expecting for a drastic increase in like shooting percentage or stuff like that. But the inconsistency, I think, will start to even out. And like I said, with with such an old roster, he is by far, in my eyes, going to be the like most durable players throughout the season for them. And you need that because if if let's say they don't side Westbrook and they're running it back with with Schroeder or even they bring in a Buddy Heald, if you're in a game without Carmelo, Anthony Davis, and LeBron, is Buddy Heald going to go win you that game? Probably not. But could Westbrook? Certainly. All right, and that will end today's episode on Around the Waves, 88.1 FM. Everyone, we will see you next week, and thanks for tuning in. Hi, I'm Theron Denson, the Black Diamond, and you're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia.